This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, talking to Adrian Heath, Minnesota United manager, in just a little bit here. Optimism after a 0-4 start. Criticism from fans. All other isms in play as I talk to Adrian Heath. Good times talking to him about all sorts of subjects, a very candid interviewee, so I hope you guys enjoy that one. Some good questions from you, the listeners as well, that I mixed into that, so that will be coming up here in just a few minutes. Also talking uh, a little bit of wild at the end as well as we get ready for Game 6 Wednesday night back at XL Energy Center against Vegas, but first, what did I miss? Guys, remember earlier in the year where you know, Byron Buxton was ailing a little bit. Um, you know, they couldn't really fig- Twins couldn't really figure out left field, couldn't figure out that last outfield spot. You know, no Eddie Rosario. They let him go. By the way, that seems like a pretty good decision because he's not having a good year for Cleveland. But uh, all the Twins left fielders, extra outfielders, is not playing well. Jake Cave getting way too much playing time, not doing well with it. Luis Arias, um, you know, much better in the infield than he is in the outfield and doesn't hit for enough power probably to play one of those corner outfield spots anyway. They brought up some youngsters that have helped, Kirilov and Larnick for sure, but turns out primarily that help was just a ref Snyder away. Rob Ref Snyder. Never heard of him before this season, no offense to him, but he was a journeyman. Basically, he's 30 years old, had like a 602 career OPS for four different teams from 2015 to 2020. The Yankees, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Texas. You know, good enough fielder, solid enough player, can play a lot of different positions. He's played second base, left field, first base, right field, um, even a little center field now for the Twins in his career. But, you know, so a guy like that will be useful, but not much at the plate in his limited time. Comes to the Twins. Gets called up because, you know, things are dire. He's 30 years old. Got to figure chances are not going to be plentiful, right? There's not going to be a whole lot more opportunities for Rob Snyder in a major league career if this is what it's been to date. But for the Twins so far, hitting 438, OPS of 1.191. That's after hitting two doubles and a home run against Baltimore on Tuesday night as the Twins won their fifth game in their last six tries still 10 games under 500 um, but a lot better than they were six games ago when you win five out of those so creeping up a little bit in the standings and a lot of it has to do let's be honest with Rob Refsnyder it's weird to say but again two doubles and a home run a diving catch scored three runs in a 7-4 win getting on base at a 472 clip a lot of that's the hitting not necessarily walking a ton but uh you know I love stories like that they're fun you don't know how long they're gonna last um but unexpected joy is always the greatest joy in sports I think that was one of the things that made Lou Ford such a cult hero for the twins back in the um, you know back in the 2000s nobody expected Lou Ford to put up big numbers but he ended up having some good seasons for the twins despite not having a huge pedigree so not saying Rob Refsnyder is the next Lou Ford, but I am saying it's it's kind of a fun story on this year's team, giving them some depth in the outfield in combination with Trevor Larnick and um, Alex Kirilov, where they didn't have it before. Now when Byron Buxton comes back at a certain point, obviously center field becomes his again. Um, Larnick and Kirilov for the future. Max Kepler still 
still in the mix when he's healthy. Not sure where the role is for Rob Refsnyder at that point. Don't know if he's still going to be red hot at that point. You know, the career numbers would suggest that he won't be, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the wave, the ride he's on right now, the role he's on right now. And, you know, this mini mini spurt by the Twins. You know, they're playing Baltimore. They've got a bunch against Kansas City um, and even some more here against Baltimore after this. If they are going to creep up at all into a semi-meaningful position in the standings, this is the time to do it. And let's face it, um, however it's going to get done is going to be uh, is going to be just fine by them. And if Rob Refsnyder is going to lead the charge, even better. I got to mention too one thing that will help them: Zach Plesac, <laughs> Cleveland pitcher, goes on the injured list with the. Uh, one of the all-timers. I mean, we've had knuckle push-ups here with Kevin Love in terms of injuries. You had, you know, Rick Aguilera getting hurt, lifting a suitcase one year. You had Marty Cordova getting hurt and by, by staying in a tanning bed too long. At least that was the rumor back in the day. Zach Plesak from Cleveland injured his thumb, broke his thumb, uh, according to manager Terry Francona, by too aggressively taking off his shirt. I don't even know what to say about that other than to pass along that information, but just seems amazing. But he's a good pitcher for Cleveland, and if he's going to be out for a fair amount of time because of that, that can only help the Twins' cause to whatever extent that cause can be helped. Enjoy your money your way when you switch to Royal Credit Union. You can pay friends and family for free, deposit checks on the go, and even get alerts about your accounts sent in real time. Stop in and open your account today or get started at rcu.org slash your way. Insured by NCUA. Really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Adrian Heath, Minnesota United manager. He's got a little bit of a, not downtime for you so much because you guys are still training, but uh, kind of a weird spot in the schedule so appreciate you uh, joining me as, as as things have not not as intense right now but uh, we'll certainly pick up soon again um adrian how are you today i'm good we had a good training session this morning michael um we've had a couple of new signings participating and getting on the grass with the rest of the guys so that was nice you know it's been a long drawn out uh, saga getting them over the line but Finally getting them here and trying to integrate them into the group is, uh, has been quite pleasing, I've got to say. That's good. That's good. Um, so, you know, the start to the year, we can get into that a little bit. I want to talk about the new guys, too, because I feel like that's a, a momentum changer, especially, yeah. you know, coming off the two wins here lately. But you start the year 0-4 yeah. after, you know, coming within minutes of playing with the MLS Cup last year. When that happens, how you know, how do you kind of – bridge you know bridge the gap or strike a balance between you know you want to be you want to play with some urgency because the season doesn't last forever but you don't want to panic because you've you know you've got a plan in place and you still believe in the plan how do you kind of manage that when you're owing for I, I think you look at the way that the games have gone Michael you know I you look at Seattle now top of the league for an hour we have we were far and away better than them in the first game you know they scored that wonder goal and then it sort of unraveled for us a little bit after that game. But we took enough positives from that first game against a team that once again had been to four of the last finals. So we know we were playing a good team, but we also knew that there were a lot of positives in them four games. And the most important thing for me is to try and keep an even keel of not going too crazy, you know, exciting-wise when we're winning 
and not being in the depths of despair when we are, we're losing. Somewhere in the middle is basically where you are. And, you know, I took positives out of that. I took positives out of our first half performance away in Colorado. But for us to lose that game, having been two up at half time, you know, it was a it was a real disappointment. But there were enough um, positives within them games for me to not lose faith or belief in this group at such an early stage of the season as well. Was that validated a little bit when you win twice after that start? And again, you know, six games does not define a season. You still got a long way to go, but. It helps to get results, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, before you don't want to be 0 6 anyway. Exactly. And I think the most important thing is it, it, it calms everything down and takes the desperation out of every press conference that you make, social media for the clubs. And, and I get that that's part and parcel of the, the world we live in now. You know, I think it's become the, the probably the biggest enemy for any coach now is social media and everybody's an expert. Everybody, you know, everybody's got an, op- an opportunity to as- express their opinion. You know, I always say, Michael, it's a, it's a strange one that I would never, ever tell a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer what their job is. And yet I seem to have everybody in the world can do my job and tell me what I'm doing wrong. But uh, I suppose that's part and parcel of being in sports at this level. Do you go on social media? How Are you are you on no. it? Or are you just told about no. it? Do you stay away from it? What do you do? I, 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 very, I very rarely, I have one or two things that I'll read, but social media, I don't go on. And um, I think I am, t- at times I'm too excitable. And I've, no, no, about, no. I've never I heard about that. About what yeah. I would say in the spur of, spur of the moment. And uh, so I stay away from it as far as possible. Um, but I do know that when you're 0-4, it's not going to be nice things that I would have been reading. I'm, I'm, I'm very much aware of that. Are you aware there's a Heath out hashtag on Twitter? Uh, of there you go, who, yeah, yeah. Are you aware of that? I'm sure there is, yeah, I know. I, I, you don't I, want to hear about. I know you don't want to hear about. It. I just was curious if you ever like if you lurk on Twitter or anything like that. I'm glad you're not. That's not good for your your psyche. No. That's not good for anything like that. No. Um, no, no. When, when for you sure, do, I know that every every football club in the world, people have got people who are against them, people who are for yes. them. But the most important thing is that the people who I work for, they see what we're trying to do, and you know, it's four years of gradual improvement and. You know, last year we went to the Western Conference final. And in, in terms of four years, I think that's we've come a long way. Does, does making the final, or I'm sorry, the Western Conference final last year, that creates a certain level of expectation. I don't know if it's a burden. I don't know if it's just reality, but that does raise the stakes a little bit, right? Well, it does. And, you know, well, that's that's got to be part and parcel of of. The, the, the evolution and the growth of, of, of a football club. If you are getting better, people expect more. Now, you know, we've, we went and spent a lot of money last year on Reynoso, and I think everybody saw what he could contribute to us to make us better. We honestly believe that there would be, you know, the new signings with Adrian Unau and uh, Franco Fragapani, that will take us even further along this road. So as expectations grow, I think that we have to grow with that and have to take it on the chain and, and, and ride with it really and expect to deliver what people want us to deliver. And that gets me to one of the, the reader questions I got from Colin Solberg. How do some of the big new attacking additions change the way you want to play? If, if they do at all. 
Well, they, they, you know, obviously, you know, Adrian Hunau can play through the middle. Franco plays predominantly down the left, coming in on his right foot, a little bit like Kevin Molino did. And obviously, Kevin was a big piece for us last year. So that will fill that all in. Um, Robin Lode obviously can go back and revert to what we feel is, is his best position, which is playing on the right, coming in on his left foot. So when I look at the pieces now, we, we're pretty much nearly set from from what I wanted at the beginning of the year. Now, obviously, these these transfers get long and drawn out at times and get very protracted. And these two are probably taking longer than we expected and longer than we would have liked. But we have got the right players in. And I feel once we get these embedded into the system, embedded into life in Minnesota, I think there'll be two huge pickups for us. The nature of how transfers work, especially I think even before we started recording here, you noted, you know, the soccer in the United States is on a completely different calendar than everywhere else. Does it, is it yeah. frustrating how the transfer window doesn't necessarily line up or how, how you're trying to negotiate all that and your downtime, your, your, your national team training, everything like that just kind of comes right in the middle of everything for, for us here. Yeah, and, it, and that is one of the, the frustrations because it's it's not ideal. You know, when you consider that, that most of the seasons are finishing around the world now. So the players that you would be looking at are available now. You know, when we get down to our off-season, when we are trying to put together a group of players and add one or two pieces, that's generally halfway through the year for a lot of these clubs. And they're reluctant to do deals then because... You know, they, they, they're going to wait till the end of their season. So at times it can be frustrating and, and it can be uh, a little bit um, um, disappointing because you've got players lined up that you think this guy's going to be perfect for us. And then the clubs go, listen, the season's not going out the way we planned. We're going to keep hold of him till the end of the year. And that's basically what happened with a couple of these guys. So, you know, as I say, it's frustrating at times, but it is what it is. We have to get on with it. And uh, if we have to wait, then we have to wait. Dean wants to know, you mentioned Kevin Molino a moment ago, Dean, Dean Campbell, any regrets about his departure, you know, him, him being not on the roster anymore. Obviously a guy that, you know, has been a big part of what happened here and been with you for a while. Yeah. I, I, as I say, I, I've been with Kevin since he was sort of 17 year old boy, seen him grow up into the man. And, um, you know, every, every sort of relationship probably has its ending and, Kevin just felt for him coming at this stage of his season. You know, he got a great deal in Columbus. He got a three-year guaranteed deal. Um, and at his age, he felt as though that was what he wanted for stability. And he felt as though he probably needed another voice as well, which I fully I fully respect. Um, we have a good relationship. We still speak and we'll always do because, as I say, we go back an awful a long way together. Um, but no, you know, he's moved on and we wish him well. And uh, But he is a... You know, it is a hole to uh, to fill because when Kevin's at his best, he's as good as anybody in this league. But we we honestly believe with Franco Fragapani coming in and that role, that that void that Kevin's sort of left will be filled. Is there? I mean, I feel like a lot of other sports, there's a there's a momentum that builds, especially when you play somewhat regularly. Soccer, I mean, you you. Sometimes you might play every four days, but how do how do you build momentum on your roster and throughout the, throughout a season when you know there's there are these kind of fits and starts and you're bringing new players in and it, it's it's a little less connected than some other seasons are, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes it depends on what type of um, run you on as a club. 
you know, we just had two results, which were great for us. It would have been nice to have continued. But what it has done, it has given us an opportunity to get some real quality work in to certain players and rest one or two players who were carrying little knocks. Now, we go into this game at the weekend against Salt Lake. I could probably do without the next two weeks after that being off because I feel as though we're just about getting everybody fit and healthy. Um, I'm confident we can go and get a result at the weekend in Salt Lake. And I, that would set us up nicely on the back of what would be then three wins if that was what was to happen. So, you know, it's not ideal. But once again, you know, the Fragapani who now situation, it will give us more time working with them and, and for them to get familiar with their teammates. Reader Dan Wade wants to know with Reynoso being, you know, such a key to the offense and being very targeted. I mean, he's been, he's been, you know, what he did last year yeah. drew, drew a lot of attention from defenses, especially this year now. Um, how do you think about balancing minutes, balancing his exposure, things like that as the season goes along? Well, I think the re-entry of these other players will help because certainly in the games this season, it's not going to notice that, you know, they take it in turns to have a little pop at Ray and it's never the same guy. So he doesn't get booked. So they, they share in the load round in terms of what they're dishing out to Reynoso. But I honestly believe now with one or two more pieces, real uh, offensive threats, that that's going to be very difficult for people to do. I think there's going to be a lot more other threats on the field for people to deal with. So we, th we think the inclusion of the other two guys is going to help. But ultimately, that's the price that Ray's going to have to pay for being a talented footballer. He's had it throughout his career and, he, he, you know, he's going to have to get on with it. I had a few more questions about substitutions. I'm not going to get into every single specific one. Um, okay. a, a subject near and dear to your heart, as the supporters yeah. dearly know. Um, but I will ask just a big picture question as you think about, you know, do you have an overriding philosophy for how you want, what your substitution patterns are? Is it a game by game thing based on how players look, what the game calls for, yeah. things of that nature? Yeah, I think each game, it depends on each game. You know, sometimes you're watching your team and you think, this isn't working and we need to shake it up. You know, the system that we're playing is probably not ideal today for the way that the other teams set up. But, you know, I know American sports fans have a strange fascination with substitutes. I get more correspondence about substitutes than, you know, when we win games or when we lose, why didn't so-and-so come on? And the, the one thing I will say is that sometimes it's difficult for players to come out and pick up the pace of a game immediately. And sometimes that disrupts the rhythm of the group. Um, that might not be the answer that some people want to hear, but, um, you know, I, I invariably, you know, the result as well also has a bearing on substitutions. If you're chasing the game, invariably you will put another front man on or you will play, you know, 4-2-4 four, four and play four up. Or if you're defensively minded and, you know, you're in the lead and, you know, you might shove another midfield player in there. So there's no, I don't have any set rules other than each game, what I feel is necessary to change the course of the game, either in an attacking sense or in a defensive sense. So you're saying your experience isn't the same as like a dentist. You wouldn't go to your dentist and say, why did you take that tooth out? Why did you take this tooth out? Yeah, exactly. That's, I'm, I'm pretty sensible in that way. Like, okay. you know. I know, I know my strengths and my limitations. Thanks. Um, I know you are, you're more than a, a football manager, a soccer coach. You are a sports fan. I want to talk a little bit of 
sports here beyond the, the pitch before we before we go. I think you've been watching some wild in the playoffs. I hope so. Uh-huh. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, is he the treatment he's getting in the playoffs? Maybe I can link this a little bit. Is that a little bit of the Reynoso treatment that, that you've been seeing? Is he getting knocked around pretty good? And, and how have you as you watch these games, how have you seen he and the wild respond? I think, firstly, he looks a, he's such an exciting player to see. You know, I'm, I'm not the, 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 you know, didn't grow up watching hockey, I've got to be honest, but obviously being in the state of Minnesota, it's a bit difficult to ignore it. And all my friends locally, where I live in Wayzata, they're all big Wild fans, so I get to keep up to date with what they, they tell me what's going on. And obviously the kids is an exceptional talent. But, yeah, you know, if you're the opposition and you think this guy's going to be the number one um, problem for you to advance it in the next round, next round, you're going to do everything you can to, to, to sort of uh, not eliminate him completely, but certainly make it as difficult as possible. And I don't see any difference in the hockey than the football or whatever it may be, whatever sport, if you've got somebody that you feel if you can nullify him, would that enhance your chances of moving through to the next round? I think you're going to do it. Some other teams in this, you know, some other summer teams, even twins come to mind links, you know, starting out 0-3 right now, maybe missing some players, a little parallel to what you're going through. Do you, can you kind of draw parallels? Do you, do you watch how other, not necessarily how, not, not just how other teams are going, but, you know, do you, do you see how they're being run and, and, you know, pick up little things here and there, just kind of watching them from afar and saying, man, that, that looks familiar. The burden of expectation looks familiar and, trying to, uh, you know, trying to, trying to win when, when everyone's uh, expecting you to win? Yeah, I think there's also the, the big one for me, Michael. I, I'm a big – I like watching coaches before, during, and after games. I think you can pick up an awful lot watching um, coaches on the back of defeats, their demeanour and, you know, their response to the question and – Sometimes they're already starting their build-up play for the next game. So that that I always take a real interest in that. I think there are correlations in most of the sports in terms of, you know, when you, certainly after defeats, I think that's when it's really interesting to listen to other coaches and you can pick up one or two things from that. But no, I think overall, we're all in the same boat that, you know, the expectation levels. And as I said, the social media now is nearly every coach's enemy, regardless of the sport that you're in, because, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're being successful or you are losing at that particular time. There's always an element of supporters out there who, whatever you do, you can't seem to win, but, you know, we have to get on with that. Someone brought a fire Rocco sign to Target Field a couple of weeks ago. I hope that's not going to be you. Uh, well, I'm sure, the- that, I'm sure there will be at some stage, but... I, I think that the people who run our football club, as the people of the uh, who run the uh, the Twins, I think Rocco's done an unbelievable job in the last few years that he's been here. So, you know, the the king is dead. Long live the king! They they say in England. So, you know, let's let's carry on and let's do the job to the best of our ability. Short memories. Um, yes, exactly. Do you watch? I, I assume you watch some of the PGA over the weekend. I think you're a little bit of a golf yeah. fan. Yeah, you know, Mickelson, age 50, wins, mm. becomes the oldest to win a major. Did he make you want to lace up the boots again and, and give it a go? Or did you just watch it which with, with fascination and, and you know, well, I, I, I actually played Michael till I was 36, which is probably very similar sort of age in terms of the sport that you play. 
But I think what it did prove that there's still no no substitute for class. I think that he's obviously had a change around and he's listening to him in the last couple of days. He's changed his diet. He's changed his approach to the game. But the thing that stuck out for me was his game management of the day when, you know, the, the scenes around him were incredible. But you could see he kept that focus and, you know, didn't go and try and do anything too clever. You know, went for the par on the last one. And I think it was uh, it was great to see. And obviously, I think for a lot of generate people from that generation in sports, certainly in golf, it's a huge fillip for them because now, you know, I think Padraig Harrington also made the top 10 as well, you know, and he's in the similar sort of age. So, you know, and hopefully, you know, Tiger can uh, get, get himself back on track and get himself fit and healthy again because, you know, it's certainly they're all great names to, to follow. Who's going to win the NBA title this year? I'm, I'm watching the playoffs early on and I'm thinking this is as wide open as I've ever seen it. Yeah, and my Celtics have got it all on against the Nets. So. Yeah, I don't know about your Celtics, sorry. Yeah, I know, exactly, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, obviously the Nets have gone all out with their group and you, you can't you can't look past the Lakers when LeBron is still, if, as long as he's fit and healthy, and if Anthony Davis he stays fit and healthy, they, they're going to take some beating as well because wherever we think about him, LeBron's special athlete, you know, and special player at this time of year as well. And that's the one thing for me in, in this level of sports is the big play, big players know when it's time to perform. And that's what I expect. The teams with the best players will bring their best game and they'll probably end up winning. Let's bring it back to soccer for one last question. Give me kind of your, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to make a pitch to the, the loon supporters, but you know, if you're kind of laying out your, your vision for how the rest of this year could go if you're going to be successful. What is it and what's your confidence level that this vision will be fulfilled? Well, I, I'm, I've got an awful lot of faith in this group. You know, we went to the Western Conference final last year. I think we've got a better group this year than we had last year. Um, I think now that we are probably where we need to be, maybe through the year we might, one or two might have to leave and one or two might have to be added. But if we had, had the right pieces, I don't know. I don't see any reason that we can't progressively get better. And when it comes to the, the final push, I think we'll make the playoffs. And I know, and I know from listening to other coaches that once we get in them playoffs, that we will be very, very difficult and very, very dangerous to play against. It's about all you can ask for. Adrian Heath, thank you so much for joining Daily Delivery today. Enjoy a little bit of that downtime because that season's going to come fast and furious after that two-week downbreak, isn't it not? Yeah, it is. So we've got nearly every four days after that, Michael. So I might enjoy minutes uh, the lake. Yeah. <laughs> Do minutes it. Minutes okay, yeah. So Do it. Thanks, Adrian. Take care. No, no problem. Thanks. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I said, I have a couple thoughts on Wild versus Vegas. Game six back at XL Energy Center on uh, on Wednesday night. Here's the thing. I don't think the Wild has played its best game so far uh, at all in this series, and I think that's a, a cause of concern, certainly for the Wild, but maybe that's a, a cause of, maybe it's in the back of Vegas's head a little bit too, like, hey, we're, this series is still going even though our opponent hasn't necessarily showed up to their fullest capability. So Wild needs to play better, but um, still alive and, you know, on home ice doesn't necessarily take their absolute best effort, but they will need to play better than they did in Game 5. One thing I want you to pay particular attention to in this game is the second period. 
Wild has been outscored 8-1 to in the second period of this series, and a lot of times that is where momentum and the scoreboard has turned. Look back to, uh, you know, look back to game two. You know, Wild gets the first goal in that second period, but Vegas comes back with two to take a 2-1 to lead. Think of game three. Wild takes a 2-0 lead into the second period. Vegas scores three times in that period, goes on to win 5-2. to And then the big momentum uh, push in game five, Wild was, Wild was up 3-1 after the first period. Vegas pushed, pushed, pushed. Probably should have gotten more than the one goal. Didn't, but still outscored the Wild 1-0 in that period. Could have been even more. So watch that period. It's not just a coincidence. It's the period where they say it's the long change. They like to call it in hockey where, you know, because of the way the benches are oriented, if you were going to try to change your players on the fly, it is the furthest away from the uh, the defensive zone. So it's it's a harder Harder way to live. It's harder to uh, harder to get players off and on safely without getting caught in your defensive zone, uh, with, you know, without players and you know, w- w- without giving up too many dangerous scoring chances. So the Wilds have to figure that out. Vegas kind of stretches that zone and uh, and makes it hard on teams. The Wilds have to figure out some other maybe different approach to that second period, or it's going to be a long twenty minutes, and it could be a momentum turning twenty minutes again Wednesday night. That'll do it for me today. I'm sure we'll talk plenty of Wild on Thursday as well. Also planning to talk some Gophers football later this week with Randy Johnson, our new Gopher football beat writer at the Star Tribune. That'll do it for today. Please write a review if you would. Leave a rating wherever you get your finer podcasts. Download, subscribe to Star Tribune, startribune.com, and we will catch you again on Thursday. 